Hi gang, and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's episode, I have two guests, the writer and artist of Generation Gone being published by Image Comics. The first issue came out on July 19th and sold out in just a matter of days. The next issue is coming out, issue two, on August 23rd. First up, Andre Lima Arajo. He's the artist on the series. I'm gonna talk to him about working on the series with Alesh Kott also on his other creator-owned series, Man Plus. And in addition, he's going to give me a sneak peek, and you as well as the audience, into what he's working on, some of the pitches he's putting together for new stories he's working on. Andre is from Portugal, and we're going to start off talking about Portugal, and I'm going to ask him why it should be one of the top 25 places I should visit before I die. I'm going to talk to Andre about what he likes to do for rest and relaxation. If you were stuck on a deserted island and could only have one book, what would that book be? And what is his beverage of choice when he is resting and relaxing? We had a great conversation. All my guests are always just wonderful. And that's why I bring them to you each week, your source for writer and artist interviews. And it's all free. And right after this interview, up next will be Alesh Kot, the creator and writer of Generation Gone, published by Image Comics. So I have a meaty episode for you today. Hope you enjoy. So let's get started. My interview with Andre Lima Arahu, artist of Generation Gone and creator of Man Plus. Here now on Creator Talks. Andre, welcome to Creator Talks. Hello, Christopher. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. And uh, one of the things I ask my guests that are in an exotic locale, and I know for you it's home. To me, it's exotic. You're in Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) Exotic. (laughs) Why, in your words, it should be on my top 25 must-see places before I die list? And the reason why I say top 25 is I want this to be achievable, that it's possible for me to fit this in before I die. The people. The nicest people around. You can come here. Nobody will bother you. You will have a great time. You will be greeted very nicely. Two, the food. You will eat very well wherever you go. And third, the weather. We get we have lots of sunny days in the winter, and the summer is just glorious. Three months of great weather, no rain or anything at all that can bother you. It just, it's perfect. It's paradise. Is it humid there? No, no, no. It's very mild-tempered. We have perfect weather. You know, it's just the right balance. I'm sold. <laughs> we have, I, I'm going to tell you, we have um, a couple of weeks, I'd say, that are very hot in the middle of July, August. You know, that. but other than that, uh, it's just, uh, it's always bearable, to say the, the least. So, and in the winter, is the same thing. We have a couple of very cold weeks every now and then. But it's it it rarely snows and it it rarely is that it's that hot that you can't go to the street. Oh wow, that's great! See, I'm sold right there. That consistency because I'm in Delaware in the U.S. on the East Coast, so we get. I mean, a couple of weeks is great. We get like a couple of months of really hot, humid, yucky weather. Yeah, yeah. Winter time can be no no snow or it can be just a ton of snow. It depends. It's just it's very random, and that lasts for a couple of months. You know, so it's we get everything here. So that sounds great. 
need to come here. What are some of the places you like to go? I like to find the places that are off the beaten path of tourists, places that the locals love to go to, to really get a feel for the environment and the culture. Where do you like to hang out? Well, I can tell you there there are the obvious uh, touristic locations in you know, Lisbon and Porto, for example, but there are the country is very much geared towards uh, tourism every place has a, a an hotel a place you can stay in you know it's uh, tourists are will feel well everywhere but i can tell you i live in a northern town called ponte de lima which literally means bridge over lima which is the river that goes around here it's a roman slash medieval bridge that that's why it has that name that was famous back then, and it's it's very it's lo- it's a lovely town. It's a medieval town, you know. It has Roman heritage as well. It's very old, like many places here. So you you could always visit this, or you could visit as well if you are, for example, in Lisbon. Let's say there is a town nearby called Tumar, which is a Templar town. Templars were usually uh, usually important here in Portugal in the Middle Ages. And uh, they had their um, the most amazing church for me that uh, exists in the world, which is a round church like the one in Jerusalem, because the um, the grandmaster of the Templars in Portugal was there and he wanted to build one like that. And there are lots of legends and myths about Templars in Portugal, and that would be a lovely place to go to other than the regular stuff. Here in the U.S., I mean, your town's older than our country. I mean, you know, we... <laughs> My town where I live is older than my country. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It's before the, the, the country was created. They are both in the 12th century. Yeah. Where I live, uh, there are a few houses that go back to the, probably the oldest or like the 16th century that are still around, like in mu- museums, you know, but that's it. That's it. It's a, it's a young thing. <laughs> yeah, it's different, different types of country. Thanks for sharing that because I always am interested in learning about the best places to go. Just to get to Generation Gone. Issue one in just five days sold out yes. already. That's fantastic. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. We were beyond happy. It's just, it's a perfect, it's a perfect launch for us. It's, it's got to be good. It is good. First, I've read it, so I know it's good. But it's, <laughs> it's got to be a good sign because here's a book that was 50 pages. Four yes. ninety-nine. that price point didn't push people away. It's still sold out because they got their money's worth. I know I got my money's worth. It was great. Yes, that was a very important point for us was uh, we had to find that balance. You know, we wanted to do a big launch. And I think that I was talking over on Twitter with someone. It was Hassan. He publishes that magazine, Panel versus Panel. And he he was talking about that the how much a story like ours that is being launched, it didn't exist before. So this is number one. We are establishing everything, the world, the characters, everything how much it benefits from being bigger than the regular 20, 24 pages issues. And then we had to match the 50 pages that we wanted to do with a price point that could be attractive, but also bring us some money, you know, because we need to pay the the bills. So we were just at the price. And I think that it is a fair point because if you pay three or four bucks for a 20, 24 pages issue, five bucks, it's, it's it's a a point that seemed to us to be pretty fair and pretty okay. Yeah, and it sounds like a very long book, fifty pages, but you know you have quiet character moments, a lot of character development, and then you have some very quick action type sequences um, that move along briskly. So the pace changes, 
from page to page. So it's it's not a quick read, but it's not so weighty that you you know can't just get through it in you know 20, 30 minutes, depending on how, how much you want to savor as you read. And you should soak it all in if you're reading the book. And uh, I understand that Aless initially connected with you through Tumblr. He saw your work. And yes. for people who aren't familiar with it, it's been described as similar to the late, great Steve Dillon's artwork. <laughs> yes. And uh, and he, he really threw you a challenge, uh, Aless did, in a good way, using your strengths to build new character designs for each of the characters to make them all distinct and to illustrate not only action but quiet character moments. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The... Um... I think that uh, I want to draw, when we want to draw comics, I think that you need to be ready to draw everything. And I look for always to be able to draw the most type of things possible. And that means all kinds of situations, all kinds of people, all kinds of places, all kinds of stories, really. And I feel like I've always worked towards that, you know, and I feel like I'm ready to draw anything at this point and i told alice in the beginning and i always told that to writers that i'm working the first time with is that don't hold anything back if you think that the story needs something please put it on i don't care if it's horses or cars or a big city or if it's just in the woods or if it's in the 12th century before christ i don't care i will find a way to draw it if it needs if the story needs it i will do it you know, and that's a uh, important point for me. And I think that's a good thing as an artist, you know, that you are able to do everything. And even in the stuff that I do myself, and I have numerous speeches and stuff that I'm working, I always try to think of a good story, good characters, something that looks interesting, that feels interesting, that has substance. And then go for it, you know, do the research. I mean, it's so easy. We have Google. We can draw. We can pull research for anything really at all. It's, it doesn't matter. We should be able to draw everything. That's true. Yeah, the information's out there. And I'm, I was wondering, as you were developing your skills over the years, um, besides using references online and books, did you uh, work on any like still life or people out and about, you know, look at horses, like in, in the, actually in the environment, not just online, to do some of your, your practice work and drawing? I did. I did. I'm, I'm an architect, so that's my degree. I have a master's degree in architecture, and uh, I we we had drawing classes and the drawing we drew uh, life uh, models, life models. You know they were there, and we got to draw them. I was I was not at that point geared toward comics like I. It happened later when I was finishing the degree, but uh, those were important pieces, of course, and it's something that I'd like to do again now that I'm drawing comics. I feel the need to practice more anatomy and things like that. And life model and life drawing generally, it's the best uh, way to go and way to learn. It's really the, the perfect thing to do. A photograph is not the same thing. Looking at the object and drawing it, it's the best way to learn it. In fact, you will never forget it. That makes a lot of sense because I would think the way the light is hitting the object and you're there to see the light, and you can actually move and play with the light to change how the shadows are going to fall on it. So that's something you just can't get by looking at a picture. No, not even a, a picture, no matter how good the picture is, because you can, if you're looking at a model, you can twist your head, you know, just if you're not understanding something, 100%, some kind of uh, shade or reflex, if something is not, you can move your head and understand it better. And 
you're looking at it in a three-dimensional way that you will never get in a photograph. It's always an interpretation. Well, with all your experience and practice and architectural background, I can't wait to see where the story goes next in the next issue. Um, because just reading through the story, there's a, the last page after that, there's a, a picture of the cover of the next issue, issue number yes. two. And that image, even that to me also channeled a bit of Frank quietly in a way, I know, uh, just that, that picture of that second cover, the, the joy on the person's face, the tears, uh, it, it's, it would make a great poster or limited print. It is, it says so much in just one picture from the expression on the person's face. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it was an important image really for us. It's, uh, I think that when we, when Alice wrote that and when I drew it and when uh, I remember when we were, I, I finished the, the book now, now uh, a couple of months ago, but when we were working, I was always taking pictures and sending him, you know, for him to see the progress. Uh, and when I sent him a picture of that page in pencils, he said he was very happy and I was very happy. That's why I sent it because we felt like that was the moment where the story really opened up, you know, and that image represents that. So it's an important image. It's an image that says a lot about the character and particularly if you read number one and you th see all the hard stuff that Elena goes through, which is the character that you were speaking of that is, that's on the cover of number two. And you see that moment of joy. It makes a lot of sense after 50 pages of, of issue one. So it was an important image and I'm glad it, I was able to capture that because it's, it's hard sometimes with, um, capturing the, the facial expressions, which is a very subtle subtle thing to draw, you know, a millimeter to the left or to the right with the lines and it, it can turn, it can go south. And that's the thing I think, but reminds me of Frank quietly is the expressions, not so much how the lines are drawn. His are a little more wavy, but it's just the expression on the person's face really conveys a tremendous amount as you do. The team that you're working with on this book is fantastic. You've got Crystal Halloran, he's doing the colors, and Clayton Cowles was doing the letters, and Tom Muller did the design, which that design grabbed me. That cover design, was that his idea that GG Generation Gone? I can't remember right now if I drew it on some kind of layout or if it, I, I honestly can't. But either way, it was, uh, if I did it, I didn't do it on purpose to be like that. I mean, it, it's, it's his design. Make no mistake on that. He's really, really good, Tom. And I... I'm really happy that he, he is working with us because it's not just, you know, it's when you get to work with people like Chris and like Clayton and like Tom, it's not that they are good at their specific thing in terms of designing or coloring or lettering, which they are very much, they are, they are the best. It's also that they are incredibly competent on everything else, on all other technical aspects, you know, you don't need to worry about things being on the correct dimension, about things being sent to image, about any of that. They take care of everything that takes that makes respect to their part of the of the work. And it's just they are amazing. To get this first issue put together, of course, you have to have a certain lead time to get up to getting everything finished, the art, the colors, the letters. Um, and it's 50 pages. And I can tell people that in that 50 pages, you're going to get a really good start to the story. It's not going to be a slow one issue happens and then the second issue, a little more comes out. I mean, things get, they're all set up in the first issue. So you got a very good foundation right there. How long did it take all of you working together to put together that mini book? 
it's hard to say because we work on different moments. You know, I, I got the, the entire script, which I, I don't know how long Alice wrote it, but I imagine that writing the whole thing like two weeks. And then I know that I spent most of the time with this book. That's that's a given. Artists always take the longer with the books. And I know that it took two months because I draw roughly five pages a week. That's what I go with, which grants me the ability to draw uh, one issue per month, you know, that usually is the normal stuff for Marvel and and DC and even Image and whatnot. It's the 20, 24 issues per month, uh, uh, sorry, 20 pages per month. Mm -hmm. And for that, it was roughly two months for me to draw. And um, for coloring, I don't know, but Chris is really fast coloring. You know, he just, he got it. I think that most issues he did it like in, in a week or something, the normal issues, it was really fast. And uh, for the other guys, I don't even know, honestly, but it's you can imagine that if I got the script and then I drew it and I was sending it to, to the other guys, like three months of work. Now, as a creator on the book, what does it mean to you? Because this speaks to millennials who are marginalized. That's the message in this book. What does it mean to you? Well, it means a great deal because it's a book that I'm not American, so yeah, I'll have a different understanding of things always. I think that, uh, but, but it uh, being even on the side of the ocean, you know, we just you feel I, I'm very much into um, what's going on in America because I work for American companies mostly only actually on my work, so I pay attention to the politics and all that that kind of stuff. So I knew. When I started talking, started talking me about the idea, I knew right away what he was talking about, what the themes were going to be, I knew where the story was going. It was very clear to me, even though here in Portugal the situation is a little bit different. We had an enormous economical crisis, as you know, because it started in the U.S. and it spread to Europe, and the European Union is only now starting to recuperate. We are a small country, so. I turned to comics because I had no job as an architect, really, it was that. I wanted to do comics, but it need, it didn't need to be at that time, you know, but I had to because I didn't have any other choice. And I'm glad it was like that because this is the, my dream job. But I identify with many, I relate with many of that, those problems and I. it means a lot to me that I'm doing a book that is reflective of my generation. I think that's important. And it's, um, I think that's a book that many readers will relate very easily to and many other people too, because, you know, it's not like this is a, it's, it's, it's not like everyone hate millennials right now. It's many people understand the struggles and that kind of stuff. So many people will, will relate to the, the issues, even parents of kids and kids and Kids that are not are not that kid anymore. You know, I'm 31 right now, so not that young, not that old either. So I relate to all these struggles, all the all these difficulties, and it's important for me to do something that relates to me very directly. I think it's the first time that I do a story that I can almost touch. Yeah, there's a lot in there, um, a lot of messages in there, and it's something you want to read and savor a bit and take some time and pause and think about it. And I, I think it will help to build some understanding about what millennials are going through and how they see themselves fitting into the world, their part in the world, you know. Exactly, because that that's the interesting bit is that it's uh, 
the the creators in this case us we are the the uh, from this generation so it's my millennials looking looking into themselves and into their their generation their own generation looking into itself i think and that's uh, always an interesting perspective to to go through because it's where you really see what uh, this type of people in this case this generation are feeling or how they see the situation that they are in to put in better words yeah the book's definitely directly addressing that rather than kind of speaking around it that's one of the i think standout things about the book generation yeah, it's very straightforward mm -hmm. to, to the topics i think the themes there is no mistake on that i also want to ask you a bit about another book you worked on it's your book um that was man plus yes and uh, was that one of your first to start with a, a creator owned and uh, yes yes and no because the thing man plus is an interesting thing it's a book that uh, it's a, clearly a passion project. I mean, I wrote it and I drew it, and I uh, I wanted I, I was working I was sending uh, stuff to Marvel to get a job there, you know, and I, samples because that's how how it works. For those who don't know, you send a few samples to an editor. In this, in my case, it's pages uh, of sequential art. Mostly, it should be sequential pages, meaning, for example, pages six to twelve, and you show that you can draw a certain sequence and you can show a story going on. And I was working on pages that can be really anything, but I was insisting on sending them stuff about their books, you know, with Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and whatnot. But I, at the same time, I started thinking I should be creating my own stuff too. And really creating my own stuff and my own stories, which is really a huge passion for me. I'm always doing that. Currently, for example, I'm creating, I'm writing a pitch right now. I stopped it to, to talk to you. And I, I uh, doing my own stuff is where I develop my style the most. It's where I really found the way that I wanted to draw. And I drew a first version of Man Plus uh, that I sent to, at the time, C.B. Sabulski from Marvel. And those pages are the pages that got me the, my first gig at Marvel. And then later on, I started working more and more with Marvel, getting an exclusive contract, a monthly book, and all of that. And uh, Titan saw the, my work on Menopause, and they were interested on it. So I asked Marvel to stop for a little bit, and I took some time off, some months off, so I could do uh, Menopause. And then I got back uh, to Marvel to work again. So it's I was already a published artist at um, at Marvel when I started working on the version of Man Plus that you see. The pages that I sent first to Marvel were never published. Well, it's good that people know this on the podcast because with Generation Gone in the Spotlight, they may not be familiar with Man Plus, and now we can shine some light on that. Yeah, I'd love to because it's really. I think the story is very good. I think that it's really well drawn. I'm not. Um, I think an artist should know if the whatever they did is good or not. You will never know how good or how bad, but you should be able to know if it's good or bad. I think it's a good book. It's a cyberpunk thriller for those who don't know. It's full of action. It's stuff that I really wanted to draw. It's a bit like Austin Shell and those kinds of books that are usually a huge inspiration for me, you know, from my favorite artists are, of course, Otomo and Shiro and also Moebius and Herman, European artist, but also Frank Whiteley that you spoke of, for example. 
So I mean, I'm using all of those references, but particularly the Japanese inspiration that came from me from from uh, all of those books from Masamune Shiro and Katsuhiro Otomo. And uh, I think it's it's a thing that if you like my style, if you like the drawings that I make, I'll say you should give it a try because it's really something that I love that kind of style, that futuristic uh, cyberpunk kind of thing. It's something that I I love, and it's a project filled with that filled with soul and heart from from me. For Man Plus, what kind of feedback did you get directly from readers? Anything that surprised you? Uh, well, it's not most people. I think don't at this time. I think that they know that I did it, but it's not one a book that is hugely popular. Popular, but all I got was just great great response you know people loved it said it was really good they enjoyed it very much and um nothing really quite quite surprising i'd say but uh it's it's something that i felt that i had to put out there it's something that i really wanted to do no matter what and i'm i'm glad i did it because now i can say that i have a book that i wrote and i published early in my career and it's something something that i want to do more so it's there it's a landmark that's there you know for me it's a very important thing. Now you say you're working on a pitch, and I thank you for stopping to speak to me from working on that pitch. And you don't have to tell me anything. I'm just asking. This is something you want to do. Is there a project, and is this the project, that you really want to get to that you haven't gotten to yet? What is the general theme of that topic that you want to do? Is this the thing you've always wanted to do? And if not, what is the thing that you would eventually someday like to write? I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm... Uh... I think that like six pitch is going on at the moment. That I, I know it's completely different stuff. You know, I have a science fiction story set in space. That's a bit horror, uh, science fiction, all that stuff. I have a story about uh, cowboys that are immortal. I have a story about what was the other one? Uh, oh, uh, on um, that takes place five thousand BC. So it's a prehistoric adventure. These three are completely written in terms of pitch and issues, and they have art in them. So I, I can I'm trying to give those to some publishers, and I have others in other places of development. You know, so I have all kinds of stuff. There are a lot that I want to do, and at least I'm doing that in these pitches. The one that I'm writing right now, yes, it's one of the things that I always wanted to do, which is an historical medieval adventure, very well researched and all of that. And now let's be clear, this is not for the American market because I don't think that there is a lot of interest in historical stuff there. I tried to pitch this one once and that's the answer that I got. And this is, I'm trying to create this pitch for the European market, which is a place that I have never worked before, which is strange because I'm from Europe, but my contacts, all stuff that I've done is for the US. So I'm trying to get an opening here. And this is uh, the book that I'm writing right now. And I was reading about Leper and things like that before, because there's a couple of characters that have Leper. There's a treasure, there's Templars. And that's, I mean, I'm I'm loving it. Now see, that's I, I find the same problem here too about historical stories. I like reading historicals, and uh, Dark Horse is publishing the second arc of Rebels, and I read it. 
And I look at the numbers and I'm like, why are they so low? This is so well drawn, so well written. What's the issue? It's a really good character driven story. It doesn't matter. And it's, it's still fiction, but it is very much based in history, real history. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff as well. And for me, one surprising thing, for example, was that, uh, for example, seeing Moebius work, particularly on Blueberry, which is signed with the name Jean Giraud and was written by Jean-Michel Charlier. And that book, for example, is about American history. Really, it's as historical as it gets because the only thing fictionally fictional in most of the books of the Blueberry saga is that it's Blueberry itself. All of the others are historical characters and it's about American history. So I was always, I was always surprised that it didn't pick up there. It's a shame, really, because it's a, it's one of the best books. But, you know, market, it's, it's, it's how it is. I mean, I don't blame. It's not, it's not something that uh, I'm doing this to show that I can do this as well. No, it's because I, it's really kind of stuff that I love. I'm in love with Middle Ages, with history, always have been, read a lot of books about it, and I wanted to do it, and I think this is the, the best chance for, for it to happen. Oh, but because you asked, the dream book for me would be a book, a story that I know what it would be like about our first king and founder, our founding father, if you want, which is King Afonso I. And he's the, um, it's the story of our foundation as a nation in the 12th century. Well, I hope that works out because I really want to see something like that. <laughs> if I got rich, I would stop everything that I'm doing right now and I would draw that book. I'm not surprised that you have six different pitches going on of six different types of genre and story because as, a, as an artist, as a, your illustration, you draw all kinds of stuff. So naturally, your storytelling, your writing is going to be the same. You're going to be into a lot of different things. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's one of the things, for example, that got me the job at drawing that Wicked and Divine issue. I don't know if you saw. I drew one because uh, Kieran Gillen and uh, Jamie McAlvey, the creators, they uh, it's always the two of them, one writing and the other drawing the issues. But they do some specials every now and then. And they did one in Rome, set in Rome, in 455 uh, AD. And uh, Kieran... Who um, to whom I I had shown some of these pitches before, you know, we knew that my interests were very all over the place. So we thought, and he saw that I could draw pretty much everything. So that's why he invited me to to draw the thing. So it's it's something that that I enjoy to draw all kinds of stuff. Well, with you so busy with drawing and writing, that leads me to my question that I ask all my guests: When you have time. When do you, what do you do for rest and relaxation when you have the time, when you can squeeze it in? Oh, I love reading, as I said. So I read a lot of stuff. I'm reading a book about the history of the world right now. Uh, I read some comics too as well, of course. I read a lot of books about history. That's what I do. Uh, I play video games too, every now and then. And I like uh, being with my family, of course. And I love driving. All good things. Very good. <laughs> now, speaking of reading, this is my hypothetical question I toss out to people. You're on a deserted island. You have no power, no electricity. Uh, you, you just have a book with you. It can be a set of books if they're all part of the same set collection. Um, what would that one book be? Because you're going to be there for a while. So what would you want to have with you to read? God, because I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be a book about the history of Portugal. I have one right there that I'm looking at. It's 1,000 pages long, and I haven't read it yet. I read others, but not that one. That's waiting for me. 
what is your beverage of choice when you're relaxing? Coffee. Not associated with relaxing, of course, but <laughs> it's it's uh, something. It's I love it. Are you a morning coffee drinker? You just drink it throughout the day. Oh, I'm all day drinking coffee. <laughs> I guess with the, having the draw and all the hours it takes, you have to put in. In the morning, I mean, uh, I always tell this, and this is comes from my mom because it's the same thing for her, is that you can you can run out of everything in your house, but not coffee. Oh. <laughs> because if not, the day is, this, I, it's a disaster waiting to happen, you know, it's, if I don't have the coffee, but I can run out of everything else. It's the same here in my house. It's the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I make the coffee. Even while everybody else is still asleep, I make the coffee. It is ready to go. <laughs> yes, God intended. <laughs> it gets me started. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, it, it needs to be led like that. <laughs> Well, issue two of Generation Gone is going to come out on uh, August 23rd. It's already set to come out. And if people want to get issue one, well, good luck finding it. Run to your store. See if they still have copies left because it's it's sold out through Diamond. Um, hopefully, I'll keep my eyes peeled that maybe uh, there'll be a second printing. Sometimes that uh, does happen. Oh, I hope that would be the ideal. For people that want the issue, know that sold out it usually means sold out from image to the stores. Some stores might have some copies, so you, if you have a store near you, please check it out. And if not, ask your store so that they can ask Diamond and Image, and maybe there will be a second printing. I'd love for that to happen. Absolutely. They will respond to the demand. And for books of this import and that address topics like this, uh, I think it is a good idea to pre-order and make sure it is in your subscription box if you do have one, make sure you get your copy because these went fast. Uh, and, and let them know at your store that you want another copy. If, if, you know, ask for that second printing if there's going to be one. Get in there now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Andre, thanks so much for spending some time with me. And uh, I'll let you get back to working on your pitch. Oh, thank you very much, Christopher, for having me. I mean, this was a lot of fun. Great interview. Thank you very much. All right. And that's my interview with Andre Lima Arahu. And since our conversation, Generation Gone has gone into a second printing. So you can go to your local comic shop and order a copy of the second printing of issue one. So you can get caught up before issue two on August 23rd. Now, up next, my interview with writer Aless Cott. Aless, welcome to Creator Talks. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Hey, congratulations. I see that Generation Gone has made it to its second printing. When I talked to Andre, uh, it was in the process of possibly being a second printing. Now it will be, and it's going to be out the same day as issue number two. So if anybody missed it, shame on them. They can get it along with issue two on August 23rd. Way to go, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and also, you know, no shame if you missed it. That's okay. We're coming back. Um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm really honored. Uh, the reception has been kind of crazy cool and good you know everyone seems to be really vibing with it and uh it makes me happy and i uh, i don't think that people kind of you know i don't think you can quite predict where the story will go ideally uh but i'm really really proud of um of what it does in the following issues and i'm really proud of where it goes in issue two because i think that the first issue, in a way, was very, um, you know, very, very character—not just character-based, but it was also very down to earth, and it was very much rooted in the in what really happens with these kids and with the main protagonists before things really go in this really different place. And the second issue is where we really start seriously exploring what happens and how it affects them, and uh, 
that's where things get really crazy cool in a very different way because, you know, suddenly we're in space and suddenly we're in the middle of a riot and uh, a lot of other things happen. So uh, I'm incredibly excited to show issue two to people and uh, the fact that they can read issue one and two at the same time, the new readers at least, ah, that's, that's going to be great. I wish I could have read it like that, you know, the first time I wrote it. Everyone can have a little mini binge. Well, the first issue, that's a chunky issue. That's like, uh, I think, 50 pages, but it goes by, you know, fairly quick. Um, and I love the character interplay in that book. And not only that, but the dialogue that you put in there. There's some great lines that you really should sit back and think about. And one that grabbed me right away was, uh, I think... Elena said it that, did you know that we're all made of star stuff? You know, like uh, Carl Sagan mentioned in his book Cosmos, which actually I just found a copy at my comic book shop for a buck. <laughs> so I'm reading That's that. <laughs> and uh, Nick said he was born ready to make his mark. And, uh, and of course, uh, it's Akio said everything in the world is code, which is very key to the book and the project that he's working on. I mean, the thing, the thing with that first scene with, with the sort of like, you know, half Sagan quote, I mean, that really goes back to, um, you know, the first time I, I used this actually once before. I used it in a very different context in a book called The Surface, which came out in 2000, I believe it was 2014, 2015, uh, that I did with Langdon Fawcett image. Uh, but there, in that context, it mattered to me, but it was used very differently than here. I kind of, I kind of like the idea of sometimes, you know, um, making these books interplay in interesting ways and make them sort of um, bounce off each other because if someone's uh, you know a long-term reader they suddenly start seeing these resonances and they might start speculating wow where is this book going you know what is Alice trying to tell me by you know sort of using the similar you know similar phrase and similar idea and I kind of love that because I think that so much what's really cool about making art is about having dialogue with your readers and with people who are interacting with the art and um, you know that's why I do it that's why that's why uh, because I want to communicate what I know and what I'm wondering about and I want to take people on a road trip you know I take them into the story and into a different world so uh, with deadline low that sort of connects to that but it really deadline is something that's kind of a root of the first story arc in a lot of ways and uh, we definitely come back to that line in different ways. I think by issue five, you're going to be really surprised with where that seemingly half throwaway line takes you because it's not throwaway at all. So that's that's one. Um, you know, uh, everything is code uh, in Akio. That's something that we are going to explore more. But let's say that that's a thing that will get explored more in the second arc. Where the first arc is very much um, rooted in the main characters and worth slowly growing larger, the second arc is where we really start going, oh, wait, there's a lot more to this, isn't there? Um, and um, that I'm really, really excited about. And uh, again, you know, even though it's sort of like a throwaway line in the first arc, it all comes back into place and it all clicks. And a lot of that is connected to what happens in the shoes three and four with Akio. And uh, I forget what the third line was. Born ready to make my mark. Oh, yeah, that one. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but let's just say that, uh, you know, if you're a reader and you feel like Nick might be a little, might be acting like a bit of a bag, I think that there's something to it. I think that there's something to say for people who are 
um, trying to project so much, uh, you know, sort of uh, security and so much um, self-knowledge and uh, this sort of sense of I know what's best for everyone, I know what's best for everyone, that sometimes sometimes people might know that for themselves and that's good and you know sometimes people might be very secure in who they are and that's wonderful and i think that it would be wonderful if everyone had that or grew towards that but i also think the other pole of that is uh sometimes people who are very insecure do that you know um i think that we all have uh, that experience at a certain point in our lives you know we might think that we know better than we really do and then we go through the process of realizing how little we know and um I think that Nick's uh, character arc and what really happens throughout that first arc um, shows how, and even the first issue really shows how misplaced some of his energy and some of his, like, that anger, you know, and the things that he does in regards to Ellie especially, like, how, did, how misplaced that might be and how wrong that might be. And uh, I think we explore it with... Um, a lot of not just focus, but I would hope a lot of sort of layering and uh, it gets us into some pretty raw places emotionally and I'm really, really proud of them. I would say that that quote and the quote about the stars are something that really converges in the last uh, issue of the first arc. There's a lot to come that we're going to find out and it may be even something that after we've read the upcoming issues, we can go back and read it again. Oh, yeah. And enjoy it even more knowing that that's all foreshadowing for what's coming up. It's going to mean even more this on upon a second reading. Yes, I, I, you know, when I make something, I really, and I know that this is something that uh, my friends feel too, and my collaborators feel too, and my collaborators are my friends. Um, thing is, I want people to be able to come back to what we do and read it again. And read it three, four times, you know, come back to it in maybe a year, come back to it in a few weeks, whatever works for them. And feel like they're reading the story again and they take even more from at that time. Because I think that that really matters, especially today, you know, when a lot of culture can be quite disposable. You know, sometimes you just go see a blockbuster and you get nothing from it, you know. Sometimes you even like see an indie movie and, or, or you read a comic and you're just like, wow, okay, well, I just got five minutes of reading out of it and I, I, I don't feel like I'm going to ever need to read this again. I don't want to ever do that to people. Because I believe that the art that usually stays with me is the art that resonates on levels that sort of I want to come back to, you know. Tells me something about the world. Tells me something about, my, about myself I might have not known. Um, makes me look at things differently. All of that is really important. And rooting it in that emotional journey of the characters is kind of key to that, I believe. I'm so glad you feel that way because I've been one that goes to the movies sees a blockbuster and I walk out and I go, oh, that was good. And that's the last thing I say about it. You know, I don't think about it anymore. It doesn't change me in any way. I want to walk out from a movie or read a comic book and put it down and go, huh, and start thinking about things a little differently. It in some way changes you. It's quite the experience. And there is a lot of throwaway where you're just like, that's it. You spent your money, you watched your movie, and it's gone. It's just move on to the next thing. That's terrible. So I'm glad to see that this is something that we could have a modern classic here. It's speaking to particularly millennials who are addressed in this book because they, you feel that they're marginalized uh, and they're trying to find their place in society, how they're going to make their mark and make a difference. Tell me a little more about that because I'm of Generation X. I was 
born at the beginning of Generation X. And I feel like I'm kind of between two generations. I have an understanding a little bit of each. And I think of myself in some ways as a bridge trying to close that gap between the generations so that there can be a better understanding just as people. I mean, what are we to get out of this? What are we to understand, not just for your audience, uh, for millennials, but for other generations? What message should they take away from this? What should they understand about the characters in this book and what they're trying to tell us and teach us? Oh, hell no. I'm not telling anyone. <laughs> I'm not telling anyone what they should take from Generation Gone. You know, I think that... Um, I think that that's maybe one of the mistakes uh, we as artists sometimes make. Um, you know, I'm certain that I've done that in the past at least, and I definitely see it happen around me. I feel like if I, when, you know, I think David Lynch sort of like said it the best, and I will paraphrase slightly, but it was like someone was like asking him like, you know, like what can you tell us about the movie, you know? And he was like, well, the, or like what does the movie mean? And he was like, well, the movie is what it means. You know, mm -hmm. it's everything in there. And uh, to, uh, to try to explain it to people when um, I want them to discover it for themselves would be, I think, something that could take a lot of the, not just the enjoyment, but the surprise from it. And also the thing I really don't want to do is sort of tell people what they should take from it because I think that it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a museum and you're looking at, let's say, you know, Jackson Pollock or you're looking at, you know, whatever, Matthew Barney's, whatever, who knows, whatever, you know, any, any sort of like beautiful work of art. And then there's a chunk of paper next to it and it tells you exactly what it's supposed to be and what you should take from it. I don't want to read that piece of paper because I want the work to communicate to me directly. And uh, I think that every person will interpret Generation Gone differently, even though it's a very mainstream story, but it's a mainstream story that goes into some you know, weird directions. Um, and I think that you know, millennials will really relate to, and not just millennials, honestly. I think that one of the keys in terms of my approach to Generation Gone really is seeing where that, you know, where that divide is and uh, what can we do about that divide, you know, not just how and why the divide exists and how we hurt each other with it, but also what happens when people realize that maybe they need to mend that divide and what happens when people sabotage mending that divide and a lot of those things, you know, but I wouldn't want to go far further and tell people what my intention with doing that is, but I really wanted, I, what I can say is that I really wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore what it means to be of different generations and how, how very often these generations not only, you know, pay each other, but miss obvious opportunities for understanding each other because they're too busy feeling like they're fighting for their survival. And honestly, uh, the millennial generation has been put in a pretty horrible position, you know, and so are the generations further down the road. Frankly, if we look at the people responsible for global warming, you know, we, we can look at the past hundred years for that. So we were sort of handed a pretty rough deal. Um, and, and we were handed a pretty rough deal in a lot of other ways. And uh, I think it's okay to say that without 
without feeling like we need to get bogged down in that and, you know, just uh, cry about it and not do anything about it. But I think it's important to acknowledge it before we actually start fixing things. Because if we don't acknowledge the problems and if everyone doesn't take responsibility, the society will not really work because people will have grudges that will be just standing. Generations will have grudges that will be standing between them and that will be separating them. And frankly, being separated in 2017 on a planet where humanity very likely doesn't have more than about 150 years to go is kind of idiotic. So, you know, I would like people to make their own decisions on what that means and what they want from it and how they want to approach these sort of questions. But I don't want to give them the answers through an interview. Totally respect that. It makes a lot of sense. Let people discover it for themselves. One other question about the book. From your own personal experience and your writing experience, what have you brought to this particular title, Generation Gone? Oh, my God. I mean, you know, kind of everything I was just talking about. I mean, as someone who's, you know, 30 years old, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 80, I was born in 1986, so I'm sort of on the cusp of, you know, I'm a millennial, um, but on the cusp. And um, dealing with all of that and dealing with, with what uh, sort of inheriting this planet means fed into a lot of it. But also what fed into it was thinking about relationship dynamics. You know, I think that one of the completely core elements of the book is the relationship between Ellie and Nick and how that relationship feels strained and uh, how it could easily fracture further, especially after what happens at the end of the first issue where we realize that things are going to be very different from that moment on. Um, Nick is quite obviously someone who has some very serious wounds and those wounds uh, are not really being dealt with and it seems like it's really messing with his life and then he messes with the lives of people around him. Ellie is someone who is more responsible and who tries to take care of things and take care of other people. And maybe part of her problem is that she sometimes doesn't really have her own personal boundaries set in a way where, you know, she doesn't get hurt. So seeing that and exploring that, those things are very obviously rooted for me, of course, very obvious, like very much rooted in my own personal experiences with some relationships. And, uh, I wanted to do. I wanted to work with that because I think it's crucial to bring your own life into each work. But ideally, in ways that are not really visible, you know. Or if they are visible, that's fine. But uh, not in ways that sort of attract um, focus to themselves. Because I don't want you to think about me as a writer while you're reading the story. I want you to be thinking about the story. I want you to be feeling the story. But if the question is, how personal is this? It's freaking personal. Yes. I just have a couple more questions, a few more that I ask all my guests, unrelated to the book. Uh, rest and relaxation. What do you like to do on a good day when you want to just rest and relax? Oh, God. That's a great question. Um, you know, um, there's, a, there's really there's a lot of variance to that. Um, um, I'm finally living alone after a long time, sort of, uh, 
either living with a partner or living with roommates or traveling. And um, I got the studio in Williamsburg in New York, and uh, it's really wonderful. It has this massive window that overlooks Manhattan, and uh, it's uh, it's just fanta- there's fantastic light, and I sort of made this place my own a bit more, and uh, it's really nice to be settled in. And depending on the day, it might be very very different. Some days I will just you know stay in. I will write. It's very very much something that for me is both rest and and a job, which is, I think, ideal. Um, I will read good books. I will underline a lot. I'm a big underliner. Um, I will uh, just kind of enjoy that. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really enjoying being alone in, in that good way. Um, on other days, I might invite friends over, and we might end up on the rooftop, uh, you know, on the 12th floor, which has beautiful, beautiful view, and, you know, have wine and have bread and olive oil and just catch up with a lot of people from a lot of different crowds. I have amazing friends who are really, really creative and cool and smart and uh, kind and just exciting and uh, sort of from, you know, all roads of life. And... I love doing that, and that's something, you know, those are like things that sound normal, but I'm sort of rediscovering them, and uh, I'm just finding so much importance in them, and so much importance in simplicity and not overdoing things, you know? Other days, it might be going to a show, you know? Uh, I, I might, I'm not sure, but tonight I might go to this Nine Inch Nails show that is happening sort of last minute in New York. Um, because a few of my friends are going and it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun thing to do. Or, or I might just, you know, or I might go on a date or I might throw a party or, uh, I don't know. I might decide to fly somewhere next week and just take a few days off. Actually, no, I am flying somewhere next week. Uh, I'm flying to LA to do some movie and TV work, uh, which I'm really, really excited about, uh, that I can't really talk about much, but, uh, I'm really excited to just go to the ocean. That's another thing that I love. So I'm going to go and just kick back and, you know, be a, be uh, be on a beach all day uh, with a director. Um, and we're just going to sort of kick back and uh, probably are going to jump into the ocean. And then we're going to sit down and write a bit. And then we'll probably repeat it. And uh, I don't know. All of those things. I love my life. Believe me, as I get older, just to have that time with friends and hang out, that's very valuable to me because it's hard to find that time. You know, community is so crucial, especially today. I think that people might be starting to realize that more often. I think it's kind of crucial to be really inclusive. And I don't mean that I, – I, I don't mean that in just like one very specific way. I mean that in really – reaching out to people, taking care of people, you know, asking for help if you ever need it also, and just sort of making people feel seen and heard. I think that on a friendship level, on a level of passing someone on the street who might need help, on a level of collaboration, really every level you can imagine, I think that's one of the crucial things that we need to do in our communities more and more because it's pretty clear that unless we do it, no other, um, you know, no other higher instance, whether it's church or government, will do that for us. They won't. We're alone. But being alone in that and being able to build communities 
that will have higher standards and what came before and will be rooted in things that are real is, I think, crucial. And you said you'd like to read also, and I ask everyone this question too. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what is the one book you would want to have with you? Oh, my God. Um, that's a good question. I'm looking at this. Um, I have these like 10 books that I have ready that uh, I thought I would be leaving for Berlin for about a month. And I would sort of live in Berlin for a month. And I thought, okay, well, I have my Kindle. And my Kindle has about 600 books on it. So it's pretty loaded with books. And it's a good library to carry around. But I thought I would like to take some books that are actual physical books because I want to indulge in being able to underline and holding the book and all of that feeling, right? And there's a few books that I either haven't read or haven't ever read fully that I would really, really love to dive into. So I packed them, and it kind of comes down to a few right now, really. And I, if you don't mind, I'll just like pick random three from those because okay. I can't really pick just one right now. Um, I would say one of the really obvious ones would be uh, Moby Dick. Always wanted to read Moby Dick. No, it's incredible. Um, no, it's so... It's so sprawling and it's so indulgent, you know. They spent an entire chapter on exploring some very, very specific facts about uh, about life in that era that might not necessarily feel like it has anything do, to do with the plot, but it tells you so much about the world. And at the same time, it's rooted in so much real emotion and uh, this very, very deep and fascinating story. I'm, I'm fascinated by the book. I'm really excited to finally read it. Um, I would say either um, either Mrs. Dalloway or The Waves by Virginia Woolf, definitely. Um, I've never finished The Waves, but I that's because that book affects me so deeply that I have a really hard time going through uh, reading it through it. I've read it like four times and I always had to stop at a certain point, just be like, no, I need to be somewhere without people in order to finish this book because I'm just going to need like a week of being completely alone in the desert. Or on an island or something like that. Um, and Mrs. Dalloway is absolutely fantastic. And I think the third one would probably be Wuthering Heights, which is one of my favorite books of all time. So one of those. Okay, fair enough. That's good. I'll, let, I'll allow all three. <laughs> and that's good you picked physical books because I didn't include the stipulation. It could You have no power, so you ha it has to be a physical book. Yeah. And it's good to get back to those. Final question. What is your beverage of choice when you are resting and relaxing? Hmm. Okay, my favorite um, my favorite beverage of choice would be well. Currently, I'm drinking black cherry seltzer, which always makes me feel better. Um, that's that's definitely number one on the list of like things that I would normally consume. Um, or in the morning, which is really crucial, and I practically drink it every day religiously. I have a really strong cup of Scottish or Irish breakfast tea. Okay. With milk, that is part of my daily ritual. That's what sort of starts me up. It's really wonderful for me. And um, when I kick back and when it's, let's say it's Friday or Saturday, I have one day a week when I allow myself to drink booze because I don't like drinking more. It messes me up the next day and I don't want to feel foggy. Um, I usually get a really, really good beer. Um, so... 
that would be either um, like one of the Allagash beers usually, or like Amagang, or um, or I get um, Tamatin. There's an uh, Tamatin is this Scotch uh, distillery. They have this amazing 18 year old whisk uh, Scotch. And it's my favorite scotch that I've ever drank. Um, it's pretty reasonably priced. It's like, you know, 70, 80 bucks for something that honestly should probably cost about three times the amount considering how good it tastes. And uh, I've never met a person who didn't absolutely fall in love with it when I gave them, uh, when I gave them a drink of it. And uh, I love that on a good day. So it would, be, it would be kind of between those, I think. And oh, and of course... Um, I also have a very soft spot, but I can't indulge in it too much because it's basically a, a liquid disease. But uh, I love Cherry Coke Zero, you know? Oh, yeah. So I saw Young Pope, and uh, Young Pope orders, you know, people to have to bring him Cherry Coke Zero every morning. Or I don't know if it's Cherry Coke or Cherry Coke Zero. I felt seen. I felt very seen. I'm very interested. <laughs> so it's somewhere between all of those. Okay. Well, Les, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, Generation Gone, Issue 2, and second printing of Issue 1, August 23rd. So, folks, talk to your local comic shop. Make sure they are in your pull box. Make sure you get your copies. It's a lot there. You're going to enjoy it, and it's going to be worth repeated reading. So, Les, thanks again so much for being on the show. This too. Uh, I had a great time, and um, – I'm so excited for people, and I'm also excited just to like hear what you have to say about issue two and beyond. And uh, I'll throw in a little teaser. I have another book coming in December 2017. It's another image book, and uh, it's with one of the artists I wanted to work with for about seven years now. I actually sent him an email back in 2010. Uh, we only reconnected in about 2015 and started talking about doing something together then. And um, I'm incredibly, incredibly happy about that book. I feel it's maybe the best book I've written so far. And I think that in a lot of ways, it's sort of a spiritual sequel to a book I've written a few years back called Zero. And uh, I'm really excited to show you what that is. Okay, well, when you're ready to talk about it, I'd love to have you back on. And I can also talk to you about Generation Gone, the upcoming issues after I've read them. I am absolutely down for that. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I will be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. 
Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.